Peter's first letter to believers who have been forced to leave their homeland in the land of Israel primarily and move to northern Turkey where they have to start over again in the midst of persecution and all the other inconveniences of living in the first century A.D. And he is encouraging them. The theme of the book is encouragement in the midst of suffering. And today we're going to follow up on what we shared last Sunday. And uh, he's talking about marriage, the first part of chapter 3. And today, uh, following up on how husbands and wives should live together, he talks to all of us. So this is for husbands and wives still, as well as singles, as well as young people and old people. Finally, emphasizing this, finally, all of you be of one mind. Can we say one? Having compassion for one another. Can we say love? Love as brothers, or sisters is implied. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. It's not an eye for an eye command here. But on the command, on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing. For, and he quotes from the Psalms, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue or her tongue from evil and his lips or her lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Who wants the Lord to hear our prayers? We all do. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Sometimes the resistance you face in life isn't the devil. It's God himself because we may have evil going on in our life. Verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And he quotes another Old Testament passage, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set him apart. Who cares about people that might mock us or make us suffer? They're not the preeminent ones in this story of our life. Sanctify the Lord. Make him the holy one. Make him the superior one in your hearts. And always be ready, can we say ready, to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. The word there, defense, is the Greek word apologia. It's a word from which we get the word apologetics, which is the school of theology for defending the faith, helping us uh, convey in words that are easy to understand the reasons we believe. Now, it's important in the realm of apologetics that we don't forget the importance of being polite. In a debate, you can be as right as right can be, but yet wrong because of your rudeness, you know? Only a moron would be an atheist. Now, how in the world is that being kind, right? So he's telling us, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness, that strength under control, and fear. That's respect. Verse 16, 
having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, and people will, who's been slandered, it happens, it hurts. Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Give enough time, truth comes out. My dad used to say, a lie goes around the world while truth is putting her shoes on. The truth marches on, but not as fast as slander does. And so if you retaliate, then what have you done? You've joined in the mess. And who's going to be able to tell who's right in that deal? Well, I have reasons. Well, God has reasons, and his reasons are superior to ours. That's why we sanctify them in our hearts. For it is better, verse 17, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered. So he suffered and we suffered. He suffered once for sins. And boy, wasn't that some suffering. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Here's how he did it. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Resurrection did not happen until after the death, and the death didn't happen until after the suffering. By whom, verse 19, also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. What is that? Well, let's see. These spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah when the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. What in the world is he talking about? I really don't know. There's three schools of thought that I see in the commentaries. You read one. Oh, that's it. You read the other one. Oh, that's it. You read the other one. Oh, that's it. One school of thought is that he was preaching to angels in prison. There's our scriptures talking about angels being in chains, fallen angels. Others that he's speaking to the people who died in the flood, who were given a chance while the ark was being prepared to repent of their wicked ways. I mean, a hundred years, a century, it took them to build that boat, and no one repented. God gave them plenty of time. But if that's the case, then, then is this passage saying there was a second chance, or the Lord preached to them in torment just to taunt them? That doesn't make sense. Another school of thought makes sense to me, except for one reason. Anyway, first of all, I'll share the reason it makes sense to me, that he preached to the Old Testament saints who were not redeemed with the precious blood of God's eternal lamb, Jesus, and they were in a place of paradise, Abraham's bosom, what Jesus talked about in the, in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. They could see each other. The rich man was tormented and was concerned about his brothers not coming there, and the poor man, Lazarus, was in a good place, and it's believed that that place is paradise, waiting on the eternal redemption to be provided through Jesus on the cross. So it makes sense. On the cross, he paid the price for sin committed before him and after him. And even those sins yet to be committed were atoned for or redeemed on the cross. That makes a lot of sense to me, except the text says... by whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison, verse 20, who formerly were disobedient. That throws a curve, but then the argument for that, well, everybody was disobedient. It's those that had faith in God that found redemption. 
in Christ. So I'll let you make up your mind. Whatever you believe on that text has no impact whatsoever on your membership of this church anyway. Um, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. So during the building of that ark, God's divine long-suffering was waiting on them, and they didn't respond. So in which a few, that is eight souls, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, were saved through water. Now, we all know they were saved by the ark, so how were they saved through water? They were saved through water in the sense that the water separated them from the wicked world. And when that ark settled down in the, in the Ararat Mountains, there was no more wicked people to tempt them, to taunt them, to persecute them, to mock God. It was a new beginning. So the saving work of the water was that they were separated from the evil past. Now it's a new new beginning. Saved from the water by the boat, but saved by the water from God's judgment, from people that were worthy of God's judgment. Do you see that? Okay. There is also an antitype, that is a reflection or a negative or a copy that's, that's reversed, which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So it's not, you know, our, our dirt coming off in the water of the baptistry or the river, wherever we're baptized, but it's our conscience being made right before God. Knowing that God wants us to be baptized, we have pleasure in obeying him. That is what baptism's about. It's not about you need a bath. Here, put some soap in that water. It's about our conscience being made right before God. I've never met a new believer that didn't want to be baptized. You don't have to argue with them. So to argue with people about the importance of water baptism is really dumb. It really is. Well, people preach false things about it. I've never met, let me repeat, I've never met a new believer who did not ask, can I be baptized, when he or she heard about it. They want to obey the Lord. It's a no-brainer. The Lord puts the desire in their hearts when they hear about it. So there's, there's no reason to have a war about it. It's, well, you were baptized into the wrong church. Well, that's a whole other exercise for people. We're baptized into Christ anyway by the Holy Spirit, puts us in the body of Christ, and then the body of Christ baptizes us in water. Now, water baptism, I do not think, saves us. But when we're saved, the fruit of that is a desire to be baptized in water. I mean, it's just there. It just happens. Notice the words, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God is in parentheses. It's a parenthetical statement. So you can actually skip it and see the fuller meaning of what he's saying. So let's skip the parenthetical statement. We're not tearing it out of our Bible. We're just trying to understand, all right? There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, skip the parenthetical statement, through the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. So we're saved by the resurrection of Jesus. You can get baptized over and over again all day long. But if Jesus never rose from the dead, guess what? You just got wet. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So what's the main point of what he's saying? In the Christian life, we, we suffer, but we've got to make sure we suffer righteously, that we have meekness and fear, respect for people that would disagree with us, that would cause us harm, that we live a life that does not violate our conscience, provided we have a godly conscience, so that eventually people will see, hey, you know, th- this mud isn't sticking. These Christians are Teflon, that we not retaliate with an eye for an eye kind of deal, but blessing for cursing, like Jesus said. He too suffered and came through the other side, risen, the Savior of the world, and we relate to him to whom has all authority and power. Which means if we suffer, he suffered not so that I don't have to suffer, but he suffered so that I can have a relationship with God. And in following him, we too often will suffer, but we hold fast, hold faithful. Guess what? We're going through the other side. First, the gory, then the glory. First, the groan, then the throne. First, the mess, then the message. First, the chaos, and then Christ. The trial, then the triumph. The victim, then the victory. All right, I got the point, Pastor. Okay, I'll hush. I'd like to speak to you today on this subject. We have needed confidence. Who knows we need confidence? When our conscience is clear. Sanctify the Lord in your heart, verse 15, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. If our conscience is not good, if our conscience convicts us, we're not going to be bold witnesses for Christ. We just won't. We won't. It kills our boldness because we know we're not right. We feel like hypocrites. And people that violate their own conscience are hypocrites. They become hypocrites. I was on the megabus traveling to Atlanta to see my parents. I wanted to do something different. Yes, it wasn't a mission trip, but it was different. And uh, there was a conversation going on just on the outskirts of, of Memphis. And these were church-going folk. And they, they wanted the opinion of a preacher. And they said, what do you think, preacher? I, I, to this day, I really don't know how they knew I was one. And um, I said, what are you talking about? He said, we're talking about them gays. Gays in the church. Gays in the pulpit. Gays playing the organ, the piano. Gays directing the choir. What do you think about that? That ain't right. I said, well, um, those who embrace that lifestyle are living a life involving a form of fornication. 
Because fornication, all fornication, is sexual activity outside a relationship between a husband and wife. Oh, we don't want to talk about fornication. We want to talk about them gays. I said, well, you have to. Otherwise, otherwise you're inconsistent. You're picking out a certain sin and beating people up while ignoring others. Well, we are all fornicators here, so we don't want to talk about fornication. We want to talk about them gays. And I looked around, there's about four or five people, and none of them disagreed with them. Now, either they were overriding their conscience and their conscience was bothering them, or they had, as we'll see in a minute, seared their conscience where it didn't even bother them. But boy, they wanted to condemn other people with whom they had sincere uh, concerns about their morality. And I didn't know if the most vocal one was intimidating the other ones into silence or if what he was saying was true. But I knew he was a fornicator because about that time, we passed a venue for adult entertainment. Who knows what I'm saying? And he said, oh, look, there's the hostel. Somebody's conscience was not clean. May have thought it was clean, but it wasn't clean. Something was violated. There was a dead monkey on the line somewhere in that conversation. The Bible talks about the conscience, and and from what I can understand, it speaks of it in about six different ways in the New Testament. It talks about a conscience being weak. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul deals with the issue of eating meat offered to idols and how some people were really disturbed by doing that because it's as though they believe the idols were real. And Paul said, look, we know the idols aren't real, but if eating meat offered to idols bothers them, then don't do it. In fact, don't eat meat for the rest of your life if you would cause them to stumble or cause them to condemn you or whatever. And he says they have a weak conscience. And then later on he says, you know, if someone tells you their meat has been offered to an idol, don't eat it for conscience sake. But if they don't tell you, don't ask. You know, don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. A weak conscience. Maybe you have a weak conscience. You're easily condemned for stuff Jesus died years ago to pay for. Your conscience is bothering you over your past, something you did years ago. That's a weak conscience. The Lord wants to heal our conscience. And it's healed through the gospel, the revelation of what he did for us. A friend of mine recently went to the movies with their spouse and uh, it was one of these places that serves food during the film. And, and uh, in the middle of the film, the, the waiter or waitress came and brought their bill. Well, wanting to see how much the bill was, this person turned the flashlight on their phone and uh, checked it out and forgot that they left the light on and was holding it like this. About that time, somebody tapped her on the shoulder, tapped, tapped this person on the shoulder and said, you are blinding my wife and we're trying to watch a movie. So this person quickly, you know, quickly turned off the light. But because of this person's conscientiousness, a hyper-conscientious person, a weak conscience, could not enjoy the rest of the movie because they had broke the rules. 
Well, I believe God wants to heal our conscience where we're not so easily disturbed like that. Probably that person might judge somebody or condemn somebody that had done the same thing. Sometimes a weak conscience is caused by that. You're so judgmental that when you mess up, guess what? Your own judgment comes back on you. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. So a weak conscience. Then there's a defiled conscience. Paul told Titus in chapter 1 of his letter to him, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. I think the person on the megabus, the the chief spokesman, was a person with a defiled conscience. Because uh, one of the parties in that conversation came to me later, one-on-one, and says, what do you do if you are tired of sinning and you want to stop? It bothers you, but you find yourself continuing to fall back into it. And I was able to minister the gospel of grace, how that we're saved by grace, not by our performance. And when we find ourselves in that dilemma, we're really not fully giving our lives to the Lord. And chances are we're not really repenting of the real issue. Sometimes we sin not based on the sin itself, but based on something else. The fruit often doesn't look like the root, unless it's a potato. (laughs) But the, the root of an orange tree doesn't look like the orange. And so... Maybe it's fear. Fear of being alone can cause someone to fornicate because that was the issue on the table. What, what is bothering your conscience today? Are you to just live, condemn the rest of your life? No, the Lord has freedom for you. Maybe it's an unhealed hurt. Maybe you're mad at God and you need to just have a really intense conversation with him. Maybe it's unforgiveness in your heart towards someone. Maybe you've judged someone and now something worse is coming upon you that you can't get over. Whatever it is, the Lord has freedom for you. Don't squelch your conscience. Don't sear it. He told Timothy in chapter 4 of his letter to him, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, who knows we're living in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. If anybody have scar tissue? Scar tissue is not as sensitive as its tissue around it, just the nature of things. You continue to override your conscience and purposely rebel against the will of God. That's not repenting. And eventually you're going to deaden your conscience. Petra Resky is an author. She's probably one of the world's most renowned authors on Italian and Sicilian mafiosos. I don't recommend this book, but in this book she talks about the personal lives and faith of some of the mafia members. Some of the hitmen think they're Christians. Talk about a defiled or seared conscience. For example, Sicilian mafioso Marcello Feva, who later left the mafia, 
once told an Italian journalist, quote, before I had to kill someone, I would cross myself and I would say, dear God, stand by me. Make sure nothing happens. And I wasn't the only one who crossed himself beforehand praying to God. We all did, unquote. When mafia boss Bernardo Provenzano was arrested, the police found him with five Bibles in his house that had hundreds of comments written in the margins and many passages underlined. In his home were 91 sacred statues. 73 of them were of Jesus. All of them had the inscription, Jesus, I put my trust in you. (laughs) Mafia boss Michelle Greco has four books in his prison cell. Two of them are liturgy, One is on the Gospels, and one is a book called Pray, Pray. During his trial, when asked for an explanation of his many murders, he merely replied, I have an invaluable gift. I have inner peace. That is a defiled or seared conscience. A defiled conscience is one that's been poorly trained. A seared conscience is one that's been, a good conscience has been overridden. You know, one of the powers behind radical Islamic terrorism is a conscience that's been defiled by poor training. They believe, having a conscience condemning them, they've gone so far into sin, there's no hope for them unless they die as a martyr. And so why not, you know, attack the wicked, satanic Western world that has caused me to do all these wicked things. And so I do myself in to submit to the will of Allah. It's all about a conscience that's totally defiled. Now, good stuff about the conscience. Our conscience can be pure. It can be cleansed. Hallelujah. It can be good. A pure conscience. Paul talked to Timothy about holding the mystery of a faith of the faith with a pure conscience. He also told him, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. A pure conscience is so wonderful. You sleep well. You rest. You're not afraid of being discovered. Somebody with a cell phone camera follows you around. No big deal. Someone breaks into your computer. It's not scary. Pure conscience. A cleansed conscience. This is good news for us all. Hebrews 9, 14, the writer says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's the blood of Christ that cleanses our conscience to serve the living God with confidence. Confidence. The next chapter he goes on and says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. The things I feel bad about that I have done has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And I receive the benefits of that by faith. And a new beginning is given to me. No longer do I have to live under the dominion of guilt. It's not by denying that guilty things are not worthy of guilt. 
It's by embracing what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because of his grace, he made us worthy to be forgiven. And so now I live out of a sense of appreciation, not desperation. Inspiration, not condemnation. Revelation, not desperation. Chuck Colson had a cleansed conscience. This guy did prison time for being part of the Watergate scandal. He was convicted of a crime known as perjury. And who knows what other shady deals he was part of. When he was in prison, he became a believer, had his conscience cleansed, made a new start in life, and lived out the rest of his years ministering to people in prison, wrote books, became highly respected by the entire world to the point that no one mocked his past any longer. A hero to us all. Believers and unbelievers fought for prison reform in other countries where people are treated like animals. The power of a cleansed conscience changed his life. Talk about living a life with confidence, a testimony to the power of the gospel. We can have a good conscience. Having faith and a good conscience, Paul told Timothy, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered Shipwreck. You violate your conscience. Guess what? Some things are going to happen in your life that are not going to go well. You're going to live with some regrets. But thank God he can cleanse our conscience. Amen? Hebrews 13, the writer said, Pray for us. We are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. As far as he knew, His conscience was clear before God. We can live like that. Hopefully you'll hear how here today. In our text we read, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Verse 16, Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You do not have to hold your head down in shame when you have a good conscience. Who remembers this photo? For those of us who were not around in the 80s, when when Vice President George H.W. Bush ran for president, he won. And during the the campaign in 87, the front runner for the Democrats was a senator from Colorado named Gary Hart. When confronted by the press on rumors of immorality, he dared them to follow him. He denied it, and he dared them to follow him, thinking he could intimidate them into leaving the subject alone. Well, two reporters from the Miami Herald began to follow him. It wasn't long till he was seen on the evening of May 2nd with this young lady in '87. A few days later, this picture was revealed, came out on the front page of the papers. I think it started with the Inquirer that he'd spent a night on a yacht with a woman named Donna Rice. The yacht was called The Monkey Business. And this picture was front page news around the world. His presidential bid imploded, but whatever happened to Donna Rice? You ever wonder? In 2013, she explained how she had wandered from 
and returned to her faith in Christ. She was a believer, but began to override her conscience. She said, toward the end of my college years, I started making little left-hand turns. Before long, I was dating non-Christians and thought, it's no big deal. It's hard to believe how you can go from here to there, but you don't go there overnight. You go there little by little, wrong choice after wrong choice. I saw Gary Gary Hart only twice, but God got my attention. He'd been trying to get my attention prior to that, and it took an international sex scandal because I was stubborn. God will track you down. He will let things happen, the natural consequences of our choice. We reap what we sow. She began afterwards her journey back to the Lord and lived under the radar of the media for seven years. During those years, she cared for a disabled woman. She got married, became Mrs. Hughes, and eventually became president of a group called Enough is Enough. Now the media seeks her out, not for her scandalous past, but for her expertise in promoting Internet safety and sexual wholeness. Donna Rice Hughes said, Oddly, I was Miss Scandal Queen of 1987, and now I'm seen as a voice of decency and morality. It's a God thing. Is that not a beautiful story? He can cleanse our conscience and turn us around. Disney years ago came out with a movie called Pinocchio. Remember Pinocchio? And in there's a scene of... of um, Jiminy Cricket, telling him to let his conscience, let your conscience be your guide. A lot of people think that's in the Bible. It's not. It's in the Koran. And I want to say this. I don't have time to prove it biblically, but this is what I believe with all my heart. The conscience is not a guidance system. It's like a warning system. It's not your windshield or your radar detector. It's the red lights on the dash going off. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. And when we override it, it's like taking black tape and putting it over your instrument paddle on your dashboard and ignoring the gauges and the lights that are telling you something's not right. That's what happened to Chuck Colson. That's what happened to Donna Rice. But God redeems and cleanses our conscience. Amen? We have needed confidence when our conscience is clear. Have you been feeling guilty for not being a bold witness? Could it be you've been cussing on the job or telling nasty jokes or gossiping about people? And so to be a witness, your hypocrisy would become obvious? What what could it be? Let the Lord cleanse your conscience today and start over again. And he will restore to you the boldness and confidence you are called to be. It could be you're not walking in your calling because you've been ignoring your conscience. How to have a clear conscience. Repent for all your disobedience. Just come to him and receive his forgiveness by faith. It's not because you're worthy, because he's worthy. He's chosen to extend his grace to us. And recommit your life to him daily. When did you give your life to the Lord? Not 
five years ago on December 25th at a Christmas Eve service? No. This morning, I gave my life to the Lord. Keep your testimony current. Give your life to him every day. When I've given him my life, it enhances the voice of my conscience. Request his divine guidance often. Pastor, I just can't pray for an hour. You know, I I pray for five minutes, I'm done. Or I pray for 30 seconds and I'm done. Well, then pray often. You know, if you pray for 30 seconds 10 times a day, guess what? You have prayed for five minutes. Pray for his guidance, not just for his blessing, but for his guidance, not just his provision, but his leadership in your life. Ask him for it. He'll give it to you. And then do it. Remember to do what he tells you. Do the last thing he told you to do, and then the next thing he tells you to do. And the Christian walk basically is doing the next thing God tells you to do, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. And if you stop, well, Lord, tell me something else. He's not going to move on. Do what he told you. Reconcile with foes when possible. Maybe you really messed up with somebody. Do your best to reconcile with them. As much as depends upon you, the New Testament says, walk in peace with all men. And if it doesn't work, then you have to trust God. Reconnect with people to whom you can make or keep yourself accountable. Don't trust yourself on your own to do this thing. We need each other. There's a Holy Spirit, there's a Holy Bible, and there's a Holy people. God wants all three things to be part of our life. Holding one another accountable. What does that mean? It means if you're tempted to beat your wife, you go to somebody and say, hey, I'm being tempted to beat my wife. Somebody you trust. And that person can say, you know what? I used to beat my wife. And I did jail time for it. Let me tell you how I overcame. Or you're tempted to to, uh, let people have it on Facebook or call somebody and slander someone or gossip in a conversation or turn, turn a prayer meeting into a gossip session. Whatever it is. Go to somebody you trust and say, listen, I, I, I have a weakness. I'm being tempted here. I remember the story of three preachers went fishing. And one preacher said, I need prayer. It was the priest. He says, I'm tempted with alcohol. And, and after serving communion, I'm tempted to, to, I have to finish the cup, but I'm tempted to refill it three or four times. The parish is going to catch up with me when they, The diocese is going to catch up with me when they notice how much wine our parish is consuming. I need some prayer. And the Baptist preacher said, oh, I need prayer too. I'm tempted to dip my hands in the offering before it's been counted and, and help myself to unaccounted funds. The Pentecostal preacher was being real quiet. I said, brother, are you walking in victory? Do you have any... Weaknesses, oh, yes, I do. I'm tempted to gossip. I can't wait to get off this boat and make some phone calls. (laughs) And number eight, to have a clear conscience, repeat, repeat, repeat. Basically, it boils down to committing your life to God daily. Committing your whole life to Him every day. How do you do that? I don't know. There's steps of action I do. I don't do this daily, but I do it often. I'll take my watch off and say, God, I'm giving you my time. I want you to be Lord of my time. Not just this time that I'm spending meeting with you, but my time. And as a symbol of that commitment, I'm laying this watch down temporarily.
And Lord, I am committing my, my uh, strengths to you. I want my strengths to be used for your glory. And so symbolic of that commitment, I'm taking my shoes off. And Lord, I want to submit my authority to you and recognize your lordship in all things and symbolizing my authority are my keys. Keys are good, authority is a good, good symbolized, good symbol for authority. My car, my house, church, areas where I serve. I, I lay these down before you and invite you to be Lord of my life in that area. And Lord, I take my wallet, my resources, my buying power, my wealth as it were, my potential wealth as it were, credit cards in there. And I submit them to you, Lord. And I invite you to be Lord of my life in this area. Lord, I give everything that I am to you. Lord, Lord I take my glasses off because of a uh, certain weakness in my vision. I have to wear glasses. Lord, I give my weaknesses to you. May they not be used as an excuse for any error in my life. Lord, I, I give my heart to you. May my feelings be submitted to your will, Lord. Lord, I give my mind to you. You get the message. I give my eyes to you. May the things I look upon give you glory, Lord. I give you my ears. May the things I listen to listen to be pleasing to you, Lord. I give you my mouth. May the words that I say bring glory to you. And Lord, may you stop me should I get into areas of conversation that would not reflect your will in the earth. I give you my hands. I give you my life. Today, Lord, take over. There's even a little song I wrote years ago that I'll sing to him. I give my life to you. My life is in your hands. Release from my own grasp. My life is in your hands, and I rest in your hands. I rest in your hands. My life is in your hands. I'm not telling you how to spend time with God. I'm just telling you how I do it. It's so important that we give our lives to the Lord daily. Think of it like this. He gives you life, and you're a steward of it. And the best thing you can do every morning when you wake up, you have 86,400 seconds to live for the next 24 hours, is commit it to Him. Remember reading a prayer. Oh Lord, I thank you that I have not sinned today. I have not gossiped. I've not cussed. I've not struck anyone. I've not been tempted to cheat or do wrong. I haven't faced any lust today. But now I'm about to get out of bed and I need your help. There's a song the praise team sings that I, I requested that they do it uh, today, and so we're going to do it. Take it back, Josh. Here. Take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you I can be used for beauty in your perfect plan. All I am is yours. Take these feet I know they stumble But you use the weak You use the humble So please use me All I am is yours Take these feet 
submit these things to his lordship to your life maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to the lord i want to encourage you to start today give him your life today maybe you need some help in giving some really big things to him some big decisions you need wisdom we have a prayer team that will be here to pray for you in a minute i'm going to call them forward to pray with you for wisdom Maybe you need healing and you want to give him your sickness. Whatever it is that you're facing, a need or whatever, we want to pray for you. Can the prayer team, can you guys go ahead and come on down and just line up across the front with me here just for a few minutes? I give you all my life. I'm letting it go.
more time. Take this heart. Take this heart.